good morning. Boy, that was a good time of worship. I, where'd the band go? Anyway, thank you. Yes, thanks, Aaron. And thanks, band. Um, you know, now, I don't want to just ignore the uh, elephant in the room. Ooh, that could come in later, too. I don't want to just ignore the elephant in the room, but today is Super Bowl Sunday. So, you know, let's just start out with a good old shout. Uh, and I want to hear you. Who's rooting for San Francisco? Okay. I want to hear you now. Who's rooting for Kansas City? Who's rooting for the Broncos? Okay. Oh, my. Um, yeah, that may have something to do with today. We'll see. Hey, we are in this series going through the Gospel of Mark. And, uh, you know, I've, I've enjoyed this. Each, each week we're taking a, a chunk of scripture. We're taking a whole chapter. So today we're taking chapter 4. Which, if you look at chapter 4, it's about the longest chapter we've taken so far. It's about 40-some verses. Um, and I always like to start a sermon by reading Scripture together. But we're not going to read 40 verses. So uh, I'm going to ask you to join me on, like, the first 11 verses together. Uh, would you read this in unison with me right now? Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching, he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Another seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And when he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. And we're going to take a little look at parables today. I was going to call this the perplexing problem of parables. Um, instead, we're calling it um, How to Hear Who. So let's bow our heads. Now, dear Heavenly Father, ah, what a great God you are. Lord, I've loved singing these songs that just focus in on you. Jesus, because you're alive, we are alive today with hope, with future, with eternity in mind. How great is that? Lord, open our eyes. Join us together. Make your word come alive. Would your spirit teach us now? I praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, first I should probably say, my name's Dan. Uh, and I work here on staff. I'm the, the pastor of community care. And, uh, you know, it's kind of nice being up here. I enjoy being with you all and just having the opportunity to, to teach. Um, when, I, when I read through this chapter... There were some things about the kingdom of God that seemed to jump out and that Jesus was illustrating as he told these parables. Um, but there was one principle that really jumped out pretty strong. And it was one of my favorite principles growing up. Um, when I was a kid, we lived maybe oh, about a quarter mile from the library in our little town, little town of Hancock, New York. Um, there was less than 2,000 people. So we had a great time. But um, I would go to the library, I'd come home with three or four books, and usually there was at least one that was Dr. Seuss. And my, one of my favorite characters was Horton, Horton the Elephant. Um, and there's a book called Horton Hears a Who. Horton Hears a Who. And I just want to read to you some things about Horton Hears a Who. Now, um, just to set the setting, Horton, he's out, kind of splashed in a pool one day, and he hears some sound. 
On the 15th of May in the jungle of Newell, in the heat of the day, in the cool of the pool, he was splashing, enjoying the jungle's great joys when Horton the elephant heard a small noise. So Horton stopped splashing. He looked towards the sound. That's funny, thought Horton. There's no one around. Then he heard it again, just a very faint yelp, as if some tiny person were calling for help. I'll help you, said Horton, but who are you and where? He looked and he looked. He could see nothing there but a small speck of dust blowing past through the air. I say, murmured Horton, I've never heard tell of a small speck of dust that is able to yell. So you know what I think? Why, I think that there must be someone on top of that small speck of dust. Some sort of creature of a very small size, too small to be seen by an elephant's eyes. Some poor little person who's shaking with fear that he'll blow in this pool. He has no way to steer. I'll just have to save him because, after all, a person's a person, no matter how small. So gently and using the greatest of care, the elephant stretched his great trunk through the air and he lifted the dust speck and carried it over and placed it down safe on a very soft clover. And the rest of the story is how Horton tries to help these people on that small speck of dust. He discovers that um, they're actually a little town. It's called Who, Whoville. And as he's talking and getting acquainted, he meets the mayor. And the mayor says, my town is called Whoville, for, who who, for I am a who, and we who's are all thankful and grateful to you. And Horton says back, and Horton called back to the mayor of the town, you're safe now, don't worry, I won't put you down. But of course, there's challenges that come. Because Horton hears the who's, but nobody else does. And they think Horton's nuts. Because he's walking around holding this little clover very carefully. And so pretty soon the animals around him start to try to figure out ways to sabotage figure out ways to, put him, to, to make him let it go. Um, and finally, Horton says, Believe me, said Horton, I tell you sincerely, my ears are quite keen, and I heard him quite clearly. I know there's a person down there. And what's more, quite likely there's two, even three, maybe four. You can get the book. <laughs> but... What, what struck me about this, like I said, I, I would go to the library about every week, get two or three books. And there was always the Dr. Seuss book. Dr. Seuss was one of my heroes. Dr. Seuss uh, was named Theodore Geisel. And uh, I always thought Dr. Seuss looked like his cartoons, but, you know, he doesn't quite. Um, but I was surprised as I read about his life story. Uh, when, during World War II, Theodore Geisel drew many political cartoons. In fact, he drew about 400 cartoons over the period of World War II. And I saw some of these cartoons, and I was shocked. Because I remember reading all those Dr. Seuss books and loving them, but, man, my parents would probably never have wanted me to see one of these cartoons. They were very racist. They were very hateful toward the Japanese people, toward the folks that we fought during World War II. Um, so much so that... Uh, some of these newspapers where these cartoons were published, they received angry letters from parents saying, please don't put these in. We don't want our kids to even see these. After the war was over, the uh, post-war effort began trying to rebuild uh, what had been lost during the war. And about a little less than 10 years later, it was in 1953, that Theodore Geisel, Dr. Seuss, was hired by Life magazine to go to Japan. And he was asked to write an article on the post-war efforts and how it was helping the Japanese children. And he went to Japan, and he had a person who went with him, another Japanese individual who went with him, and they went from school to school to school. And the question he asked every kid was, he said, I want you to draw what you want to be in the future. And during that trip, Theodore Geisel was changed as he heard what these children were saying, as he saw the dreams that they had for the future. And he realized, these kids aren't really any different than mine. And the parents of these children aren't any different than I am. 
he came home and he wrote the article, but more than that, he sat down and he wrote, Horton, here's a who. A person's a person, no matter how small. Um, and, and, and I love that theme. It goes throughout the book. Should I, should I put this speck down, Horton thought with alarm? If I do, these small persons may come to great harm. I can't put it down, and I won't after all. A person's a person, no matter how small. That's a great theme. And I'll tell you, that's a theme that we find throughout the, the kingdom of God. Um, everybody's made in the image of God. A person's a person. Everyone we're to love, we're to reach out to. But that's not the theme I want you to get from Horton this morning. I want you to get this theme. Believe me, said Horton, I tell you sincerely, my ears are quite keen and I heard him quite clearly. I know there's a person down there and what's more, quite likely, there's two, even three, maybe four. My ears are quite keen, and I heard them quite clearly. My hope today is one of the principles that we're going to learn about the kingdom of God is that we've got to start listening with keen ears, with Horton-like ears. Um, and, and I think of the, the parable that we just read. It, it was bookend with these words. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching he said, listen, listen. And then the ninth verse at the end of this parable, he, taught, he said, and Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. The same word is used there, listen and hear. Um, it's used three times in those verses. And it's the word akuo. Akuo. It's a Greek word, akuo. You know, you can almost hear the word acoustic. Acoustic coming through it, which means, you know, fine tune or, or even tune in. Tune in. What that word akuo means, listen, because this needs careful thought. And so what Jesus is saying when he's telling his parable, he's saying, listen to this, because I want you to give it some practical application. I want you to think about this. I want you to enter into this. Um, so the disciples, after he had finished teaching, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. And they came to him, and they were inquisitive. They wanted to know. Now, you know, when we read that, we kind of wonder, what were they asking? Did they want to know what the parable meant? Did they want to know why he used the parables? Um, in, in a parallel gospel or a parallel passage in Matthew, it says that when they came to Jesus, they said, why did you use parables, and what do they mean? Why did you use parables? Um, I kind of see in that question... They're asking something more. Um, in fact, you know, if you go back to what Aaron preached last week and you think through Mark chapter 3, there's a couple pictures that hit you. One is there were so many big numbers in the crowd. There were so many people that Jesus said to his disciples, hey, let's take a boat. I'll get in there. You go out a little way from shore so I can teach there and I won't get pressed by the crowd. And he's doing the same thing here. It says he got into a boat here in Matthew chapter 4. Um, so there were large numbers of people. And then secondly, we saw in Mark chapter 3, there was some opposition that was rising. There were the Pharisees, there were the Herodians, there were others that were coming. And it tells us in three different places. One said they were coming to see something they could accuse Jesus of. Then in about verse 9, it said, boy, they were coming to try to figure out how can they kill Jesus? How can they come up with some reason to, to stop his ministry? And then toward the end of the chapter, they started saying, you're a Beelzebub. You're of Satan. And they were accusing him of, of even being of Satan. Um, when I hear that going on, I hear the disciples when they come to him and say, tell us about the parables. I hear them saying, Jesus, why'd you tell a story like that? I mean, about a farmer. Good grief. You've got big crowds here. What a chance to be able to teach him what you've been teaching. And, and, Furthermore, now those people are all scratching their heads saying, what do you mean by that? And, and you've got these people coming, the bigwigs from Jerusalem. What an opportunity to be able to teach your truth, to be able to change their minds. Now all they think is, you're nuts. You had an opportunity, and what do you do? You tell them a story about a farmer throwing out some seed. Jesus says to him, and this is one of the more, I'd have to say, puzzling verses. Definitely in chapter 4. I'd also say maybe in Mark's gospel. 
Because he answers them by saying, he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. There's a couple things in those verses that stop me in my tracks. One of the secret thing. And the other thing is this quote, and this is a quote from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. It's it's right after Isaiah had been commissioned and had his great vision, and the angel would come and put a coal on his tongue to symbolize purity, and and then he's given this charge, and, and Jesus repeats here, they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. It almost sounds like Jesus wants to be kind of cryptic so that he doesn't have to forgive these people. That doesn't sound like the Jesus I know. Um, you know, I mentioned parallel passages. Uh, and, and Matthew's gospel has a little bit longer explanation that we're going to look at. And maybe some of you who you know, aren't quite as acquainted with the, with the Bible or the scriptures, you're wondering what I mean by parallel passage. There, there's four gospels in the very beginning of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one of them written by those individuals. And they're all about the life of Christ. And they all give a little bit of flavor from their personality as they're sharing about the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, so there's sometimes where you read it and boy, it just follows right along together. And other times you read it and there's some different slants on how they viewed what was happening. Matthew shares this very same incident, the parable of the farmer, the parable of the sower. And the question is a little bit longer. Tell us why you use parables and what does it mean? And then Jesus gives his answer and this is what he says uh, in Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes. They might hear with their ears. They might understand with their hearts and turn. And I would heal them. I would heal them. And in that, I hear a little different tone than what I heard in Mark. Yes, Mark quotes some of this, but not all of this. And, um, you know, I remember when Larry was starting us off on this study of Mark, and he just kind of referred to Mark's gospel as the ADD gospel, as that gospel that kind of flits from this story to the next story to the next story to the next story, and it flies through that. And so sometimes in Mark's gospel, things are kind of compressed. Whereas we go to the other Gospels and we see them expanded. And I see Matthew expanding this and giving more of the feeling. And, and, I, and I feel Jesus saying, oh man, if only these people would open their eyes, I'd heal them. But they've closed them. If only they'd open their ears, but they've stopped them up. But notice what he says at the very end. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Um, there's a great little... Um, commentator named William Barclay. And he takes this passage and he interprets it like this. He says, when Jesus said this, he didn't say it in anger or irritation or bitterness or exasperation. No, he said it with the wistful longing of frustrated love, the poignant sorrow of a man who had tremendous gift to give, which people were too blind to take. And I think that's what's going on here. When Jesus uses those words that sound a little harsh to us. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So it brings me to that bit about the secret. The secret of God. What is the secret of God? And, and, well, one of my favorite verses. Actually, it's, I would say it's my life verse. It's something that I, I took right after seminary and said, I want this to be the verse that defines my ministry throughout my life. And it's Colossians chapter 2. My purpose is that they may be encouraged. Uh, let me just say it the way I always say it. My purpose is that you may be encouraged in the heart and united in love so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery 
or the secret of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The secret of the kingdom of God is, is Jesus, is Jesus Christ. And here's Jesus, and all I can believe is that, that these disciples have been given a little bit of an insight to realize Jesus is unique. He's the one that we're going to follow when he called us to follow him. Um, Jesus has the answer. And so when Jesus tells some kind of a story about someone out spreading seeds, they're curious. And they want to know why. When those people who are against Jesus, who say, no, we've got to stop him any way possible. When they hear him telling a story about a farmer out throwing seeds around, they're saying, well, why do we have to waste our time with him? He's lost his crowd if he's going to talk like that. So it kind of keeps the opposition away. It kind of draws the curiosity of the people who have received this inclination that there's more to Jesus than we see. Yeah, they had the secret. But you know what? They didn't have all the answers. And, and so when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him, asked him about the parables. Um, and I think this brings us to the, the first uh, kingdom principle that I, that I see in this passage. And that kingdom principle is, boy, we need to listen. We need to be curious. We need to ask questions. We need to listen intently, like Horton-like ears that can hear what other people aren't hearing. We need to be curious and question. You know, Carrie and I are going to have a a fun time in about a month. Well, what is it? About a month and a half. Um, we're going we're gonna to get flown back to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And in Lancaster, um, that's where I started my ministry. And I was able to plant a church out there in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It's called LEFC, Lancaster Evangelical Free Church. It's still called that today, LEFC. But what, what amazes me is it's still going today. Um, the way churches go these days. So I'm, I'm thrilled, and they're coming up to their 40th anniversary. Gives you a little clue about my age. Um, but they're going to fly me back so I can be there. They built a section of their building just now, and, and so we're going to be able to dedicate that. I'm looking forward to that. But, you know, it's caused me to reflect a lot, especially as I come to this principle, you know, listening, being curious, asking questions. Because I think of those those years that I was in Lancaster, I was totally bent on giving them great answers. Great answers. Uh, stop the questions. Give you satisfactory reasons for why this is. And I never taught those people how to question. In fact, I'm not sure that I knew. I'm not sure that I was comfortable in questioning what I was taught. And it wasn't until I started to question that I began to deepen and understand more. Um, I've told you about the guys must be crazy on Friday mornings. You know, I love it because what we do is we read a passage of scripture and then the way we start is, okay, what bugs you? And it's terrific to hear the conversation that goes and the teaching that takes place around that circle of men. I love that. Listen, be curious, ask questions. Um, <clears throat> we just had family promise a little while ago. And I had a great experience. It was on a Friday night. I was there. Um, you know, the coordinator basically in Family Promise is kind of like a figurehead who makes sure nothing goes wrong. So um, I'm sitting in the kitchen, and I can hear the commotion of all the kids playing in the room next door, and everything else seems to be kind of quiet. And all of a sudden, one of the dads came walking in. And, you know, we both got a drink together, and he sat down. And he said, hey, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure, ask me a question. He says, you know, doesn't it, doesn't it take a, a man with a woman to have a kid? I said, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I pretty much agree with that, sure. He said, well, that's what throws me off. I just don't understand this Mary bit and how she could have Jesus without Joseph. I said, oh, that's where you're going. <laughs> now, we had a great time for probably 
45 minutes. And one question he had after another question after another. And you know what? What I began to realize is that many of my answers came back. He said, you know, I can't fully explain to you. But I know that as, as I have stepped into this circle where I say, yeah, Jesus is unique. Jesus is, Jesus is the Son of God. It helps me understand the virgin birth, why we need it. It helps me understand the crucifixion, why Jesus went through. It helps me understand that, yes, he conquered death. All of this centers around Jesus. I love the fact that he was curious. And you know what? I believe very much that Jesus liked the fact that the disciples came to him and said, okay, tell us about this story. Explain this story to us. Um, you know, they've been told the secret. Let me tell you, the secret's out. The secret's out, and every one of us sitting here knows that secret. One, I just told you. But you knew it anyway. And, and Jesus goes on right after he explains a little bit more about this parable. Jesus says these words. He said, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? For whatever's hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever's concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Oh, if anyone has ears, let him hear. And I believe that he's telling his disciples the day's going to come when this secret that you know is going to be out in the open. And my goodness, we've got it written right in front of us. It's out in the open. That doesn't mean we keep it to ourselves, not at all. But it means when we go and share with other people, they might say, ah, oh, you're talking about that Jesus, who was born by virgin birth, huh? And it gets a conversation going. Listen, listen. Um, <clears throat> so we come to these parables. And, um, you know, the parable that was shared was one that we, oh, I'll go back here because it's one that we all know. We'll just review it. I'm going to say we all know it. I hope you know it. The, the parable of the sower and the parable of the seed. And, you know, we've had it taught all different ways, but he basically says there's a farm that goes out, spreads the seed. Some lands on hardened ground. And you, and you picture us like a sidewalk. You picture a path that's beaten down. The seed lands on it, the birds come and snatch it away. Some goes on rocky soil. It's shallow. Um, you know, it, it starts to germinate quickly, and then the sun comes out and scorches it. There's no roots, and it dries up and goes away. Some falls on thorny ground or weedy ground. And it grows up with the thorns and the weeds and the weeds choke it out and blink, it's gone. And some goes on good soil. And in that good soil, um, it, it harvests the crop 30, 60, 100 times. And then Jesus sits down with his disciples after they come and they say, tell us about this parable. And he gives them some insights. He said, you know that seed that was, the birds came and took away? That's really Satan coming and snatching it away because it, it's a hard spot. It's a hard soil. It doesn't, it doesn't take root. It's like people who are hardened and Satan snatches it away. And, and that, that rocky, shallow soil is like people who, you know, they receive the truth really quickly and they're all excited about it and then pressure comes, challenges come, and all of a sudden, it just uh, gets scorched. It dries up. It's gone. And then there's people with thorny, weedy soil. You know, it's, it's like those people who, yeah, they receive the word, but then all the cares of the world, the desires, the temptations, yeah, the question marks, and it just goes boink, and it's gone. It's not fruitful. And finally, the good soil. And I said, they're looking at this, trying to say, okay, What's the kingdom principle that's here? Because I've always looked at this as, and I'll use the word, in an evangelistic way. Evangelistic way, which means how we go about and share the gospel and how the reception is to that gospel. Uh, evangelistic is those of us in the, in the uh, evangelical church that kind of like to expand the numbers too big. So we say it's evangelistic. Um, but the more I thought about that, I said, well, that's not really a kingdom principle, how people receive it. Um, and, I, and I wrestled with this, with this parable that's so well known. And you know what jumped out at me? 
this farmer is pretty sloppy. <laughs> and I looked at that, you know, here's, here's the sower or the farmer. He's got a handful of seeds. And go, he spreads it and some lands on the sidewalk, some lands in the rocks, some lands over here in the thorns, and some lands on good soil. I, I remember growing up, I was never a farmer, but my, my grandfather, I call him Pa, my Pa had a big garden. And he'd take me out there with him, and I, was, I felt so good when I could go out there and plant. And we never wasted seed. We never wasted seed. Uh, this farmer, to me, seems pretty reckless. And you know what the word reckless can be translated as? Prodigal. And you think of that parable of the prodigal son. Well, a lot of people, when they're interpreting that, they see instead the prodigal father who had a reckless love you know what I see here is a prodigal farmer. And it brings out what I think is a second principle that we find for kingdom. And that is God is generous with his truth regardless of how it's received. He spreads just as much seed on that hardened path as he does on that good soil, as he does on those thorns, as he does on those rocks. And the seeds are spread. Um, there's a verse in Romans. In Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. The same truth is shared. God's love is generous, and he spreads it out. And I know some people wrestle with this parable, and we try to come up with all kinds of, oh, theological implications. Like, um, so if these people were hardened, they get one chance, and then Satan snatched it away, and it's over. You know, I don't know. The farmer probably came out the next day and spread some seed, too. I don't know. But I don't think he's talking about that. But it really hits me generosity of God to spread his truth um, so, I, so I look back at those those pictures and, and like I say when I go through the translation here in scripture it's, it basically portrays Jesus as saying that's a person who's got a hardened heart that's a person who um, you know was shallow and when the temptations came they, they, they drifted away um, and I started looking at these, and I started asking the question, wow, is this talking about people? Or is it talking about the condition of souls? Is it different souls? And then what started to happen to me, and folks, as I'm saying this, I want you to realize something hit me. I think I'm listening, and I'm curious. And I want to know more. Could, as I look at these soils, as I look at these conditions, as I look at these things that he said in the parable, man, I could tell you every one of those is in my life right now. Boy. And I started to get very convicted. Because I started to realize, I'd like to see, I'd like to think that I've really handed all over to God, but there's some areas in my life that, I'm hardened too. And I'll say, God, take anything but this. And I kind of put it under lock and key and I keep it away from him. In fact, let me just go through some of the things that I went through as I was working through this. Uh, areas that I, I just won't let go of kind of represent to me that, that hardened path. And, you know, as I, as I wrestled with that and realized, I wonder how many times God has thrown some seed on there. And it's just gotten snatched away because I wouldn't let it sink into me. And there's Psalm 23, 6 that, that came to mind. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And just recently, I was listening and reading about that verse, and what really came across strong, surely God's goodness and God's unconditional love it's going to be more than just passively following me. 
it's going to be pursuing me. It's going to be chasing after me. It's going to be seeking to catch me all the days of my life. God does not give up on those hard areas in my life. Am I listening? Do I have Horton-like ears to hear that? Do I ponder it? And then what about, what about those areas of my life that are kind of shallow? You know, and, and the enthusiasm, yeah, I'll, I'll receive something that I get all excited about. And then, you know, there's outside pressures that come in, and it seems to squelch it. And, you know, I've shared with you guys, I, I'm an anxious person. I try not to show it, but I am. And I can be intimidated rather quickly. In fact, just knowing that I was going to be preaching is a little intimidating. Matthew 28, 20 came to mind when Jesus is, is uh, meeting with his disciples the last time. And he says, know that I will be with you always, even unto the end of the world. Do I listen to that? Do I realize that right now as I'm up here in a rather intimidating situation in front of you all, that Jesus is up here with me? And Jesus is inside of me, and Jesus is speaking through me, and Jesus is giving you ears to hear. Do I realize that? Wow, what a concept. What a thought. And what about those areas that, my goodness, there's all kinds of, yeah, you know, I receive the truth, and, and I know the truth, but I live kind of in fear. One of the things that came to my mind as I was wrestling with this thorny soil one about areas that tempt me is I always wonder, I'm supposed to be the provider in our family. And I wonder, have I provided enough to get us through? And I know I shouldn't be like that, but I do. I, we had a great Christmas trip this past, um, you know, a month ago. And while we were there, I was talking to my brother-in-law, and I love him. He's a crazy guy. But he was sharing with me about it in his company. They've been bought out. And the company that bought him gave him a tremendous stock option. And in fact, they gave him 50% more to be able to buy him out. And he did that. He said, Dan, I could retire today. And we'd have no worries. And I'm, I'm smiling on the outside. I said, that is so good. I love that. And on the inside, I'm saying, holy crow, I better go home and figure things up. <laughs> oh, do I hear Matthew 6.33? Matthew 6.33 that says, um, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Mm. I know that verse, but am I listening? Am I curious? Am I asking God questions? Because it's true. It's true. Um, yeah. Then you come to the good soil, producing 30, 60, 100 times. You know, we'll get to that. But principle that comes out to me about the kingdom. We can cultivate our hearts to receive more and more of his truth. Just because we may have a hardened place in our life, I don't want you to sign yourself off saying, well, that'll never change. Oh, no. Just know God's pursuing you, and he'll never give up. Just because you may have a weakness where, yeah, you're just living in fear because of something else, hey, realize God is with you. He can give you the strength to keep on going. We can cultivate our hearts to receive more and more of his truth and allow it to penetrate deep into our hearts. Well, well, that fourth soil, the, the one that produced, the one that produced 30, 60, and 100-fold, um, that's where I think Jesus goes with this next parable. And this next parable, he says, um, it's, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain's ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And I want to assure each and every one of you who is here today, who has entered into that wonderful mystery of God that Jesus is the one who has all the wisdom and knowledge. 
your life is producing something. And I want to encourage you to look for it. Look for it. I'll tell you, it's, it's tempting to always say, oh yeah, I see it in this person, but ah, you know, I'm, I'm still struggling, I'm still wrestling. I, I don't know if it's here. I, I was talking to someone um, just this past week, and, uh, uh, you know, we got into one of those political conversations. And this individual looked at me and said, you know, Dan, three years ago, that would have just jerked my chain. But today, so what? God's in charge. Hey, that's crops growing. That's fruit being produced. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace. Oh boy, I better look because I don't want to mess them up. Love, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I want to assure you, we can probably do things to maybe try to cultivate the fruit a little bit, but you, we can't really, it, it grows by the work of the Spirit within us. I'm amazed as I look at my driving skills today <laughs> compared to what it used to be. I'm amazed how I can drive. And somebody can cut me off. And now, watch somebody cut me off on the way home. But uh, <laughs> it's been something to see the patience. And I've never prayed for patience. Don't pray for patience. <laughs> but it's interesting to see that grow as the Spirit lives inside of us. It's interesting to see, boy, the, the love of God for other people grow as the Spirit lives inside of us. I want to tell you, there are places in your life where those seeds that God has planted are producing a crop of 30, 60, and 100 fold. Look for it. Be encouraged. Walk in that joy. Walk in that joy. Um, so it brings us to this... Um, Next principle, when we receive his truth, it produces results. Now, we can cultivate our lives to receive his truth more, but I'll tell you, when his truth gets in there, it produces results and changes in our life. Isn't the kingdom of God great? He's generous with his truth and he scatters it all over. And we can cultivate our lives to receive more. And we can receive his truth and it will produce results. Boy, do we have ears to hear that? Horton-like ears. And it finally brings us to the last parable that he says in this passage. And the last parable is the parable of the mustard seed. It's like a mustard seed, the kingdom of God, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when planted, it grows and it becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Um, I look at that and, you know, when I think of the smallest of all seeds, diminutive, tiny, um, boy, not impressive at all. But out of that grows something that can provide shelter for the rest of the world. Um, I'll just give you the, this last principle. His, his truth is unassuming, but it packs a wallop. It packs a wallop. You know, I think of um, Isaiah 53. We've heard the secret is Jesus Christ. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty, no majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And yet he's the savior of the world. He's a mystery of God. He's the transformer. Wow. I think of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not by works, so none of us can boast. It's not us. It's him filling us with his truth and using us 
as his instruments in this world. Um, you know, as I was thinking about this, this truth is unassuming, but it brings changes. It brings changes within our world and our society. Um, and I was trying to think, you know, when you think of hospitals, most hospitals have some kind of faith-based organization behind it that started it. I couldn't find any, any details about that, probably because there's too many hospitals to count. But I was interested to find this. When you think of universities, uh, colleges, places of higher learning, I was interested to find that in colonial America, there were 123 universities that started in colonial America. 122 of them were church-related. Wow. And they had wonderful statements of purpose. I'm going to read you this one. And you tell me which, which school you think it is. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. Isn't that a great statement? Anybody want to guess? Which is the school? Harvard University. I'm not sure where it is now, but isn't that a great start? Boy, and, and starting from something, oh, something so small, something that looked like it was almost blown out on the cross. Um, you know, I think right here in our church, I think of something that illustrates this, uh, this principle very well, is right through these doors and on this side, our food bank. Um, let me just show you what it looks like today. And uh, on, on Tuesday night, we had the opportunity as elders to have the team from the food bank ministry come and just share what's happened, how it's grown, um, how it's changed and been transformed. I remember when the food bank started in someone's garage. And then eventually it got moved over here. And it got moved from corner to corner to corner. And it was stuck in that corner. And, you know, people would come on a Saturday morning. And, yeah, it was kind of like in the back of the church. And you people gave. You gave a year ago. And that corner has been transformed. And I don't mean just transformed so that it looks nice. It's been transformed so that the people who are working in the food bank are working there to recognize the image of God in every person that comes in. To encourage people that God has a plan for them and a purpose and they love them. And to be able to meet physical needs like food. I love that. I love what's going on there. It's like that little tiny mustard seed that has blossomed into this today. Well, those are just some of the principles of the kingdom. You know, be, do we hear do we hear those? Do we allow ourselves to listen? Are we inquisitive and curious and digging in deeper and deeper? Well, the chapter ends with not a parable, but it ends with a story. And it's a real story, but I think it's kind of a good parable for us today, too. Because it ends with Jesus after a long day of teaching and a long day of explaining, saying to his disciples, come on, let's get in the boat. Let's go over to the other side of the lake. Let's get away from the crowds. Let's have some quiet. And so they get in the boat, and they're making their way across the lake. Jesus falls asleep. He's exhausted. He had to be exhausted because as they're in the middle of the lake, a storm rises. And that storm beats and batters the boat. And, and it says that the boat was being, uh, water was washing into the boat. And finally, the disciples go to Jesus, they wake him up, and they say, Jesus, uh, don't you, aren't you worried that we're going to drown? Come on. And, uh, you know, probably in the ideal way that I like to look at it, I like to think of Jesus hops up on his feet and boom. I kind of think Jesus rubbed the sleep from his eyes, looked around, then stood up. And it says in Scripture, he said these words. Say, quiet, be still. I don't know if the water just all of a sudden went boink. Or if gradually it got quiet. And pretty soon it was still. And I see a picture like this. And I, I can't help but think, oops, I'm caught. I can't help but think that Jesus wants us to listen. 
Because I know that, I'll say all of us who are here today have storms. We have things that we're anxious about. Things that are eating away at us. Maybe it's a it's a marriage that isn't going the direction we wanted it to go. Maybe it's a kid that's just not following what we wanted them to follow. Maybe it's thinking about taxes. Maybe it's thinking about politics. And Jesus says, quiet. Be still. Do we hear that? Do we take it seriously? Do we listen to that? The disciples, as they were in that boat, they said, what manner of man is this? That's a great question to ask. That's a great question for us to ask. What manner of man is this? We have the opportunity to come to his table. And we do this every month. And sometimes maybe that just becomes a tradition or a pattern. But I want to encourage you today as you would come to take these elements, as you would come to take the bread and as you would come to take the wine, that you would listen. When he was meeting with his disciples that night before he was crucified, he said, hey, this is my body broken for you. And I'm sure they're saying, what in the world is he talking about? Well, I want you to ask questions as you take this piece of bread body broken for me, what does that mean? As you take this cup, this is the cup of, it's, it's my blood, the, the cup of the new covenant. What does the new covenant mean? We're going to be joining Christians around the world as we take this. We're going to be joining Christians down to